Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Here is James Earl Jones to read to us our text. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy unto two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but call to remembrance the former days in which, after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly, whilst ye were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly, whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Hebrews chapter 10. We've been going through the book of Hebrews. This is week number 16. For the first 14 weeks, we looked at the glorious things about the greatness of the Lord Jesus. Talks about how he's greater than the angels. Obviously, he's greater than demons. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the sacrifice that had to be offered annually and daily. He is the ultimate sacrifice. And he is risen from the dead and is at the right hand of the Father as the ultimate high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Last Sunday, week 15, we transition now to our responsibility. In light of having a glorious Savior, in light of being encouraged by that, how should we then live? Last Sunday, we talked about the importance of three things. God's presence, that's his ability to reveal himself to us within and without. His presence is omnipresence. He is everywhere. His presence is inner presence. Greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. He lives in those people who open the doors of their heart for his 
inhabitation. And he also allows us to experience his manifest presence, which is in his corporate setting of his people gathering together, worshiping him. And he, as the man Christ Jesus, joins in with us. We saw that, that he praises with us as our elder brother. And so there's an awareness of God that is unique in our lives to the times of praise and worship. There's his principles. This is the word of God. We have worship and we have the word, his history and his commands and his illustrations and applications, which is what we're looking at today. And then there's his people. A lot of people love his presence and they say they love his principles, but they don't love his people. They're out on the lake today. I don't believe in organized religion. Well, we're not that organized around here. <laughs> Does that mean you believe in disorganized religion? You do not believe his principles if you forsake the assembling of yourselves with other believers. Whatever that looks like, it could be a house church, it could be a mega church, in some kind of way. And it's more than going to church. But it's being part of the community that expresses the life of Jesus by taking his principles seriously. In so doing, we find our place. So it's more than a gathering, it's an assembly. You can have a bag of blue marbles or a cluster of grapes. There's similar things to them, right? But just let that bag bust and they go everywhere. That's a gathering. But a cluster of grapes, that is together. You drop it, they hang together, it might be a mess but they're hanging together, drawing life from the vine. That's an assembly. So today, looking at our text, we're going to just interrupt here the paragraph with verse 23. We covered the context of this last week. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. In these days and times, it's important to keep our hopes up. Without hope, what do you have left? Despair, right? Let's not lose our minds because the world is losing its mind. All our hopes are in Jesus, amen? Why? He is faithful. He didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim, swim to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us to move away, and he didn't pick us up to let us down. The Imperials used to sing that. And let us, verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Exhort means to call up to a higher walk. Preach at each other. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The sooner the Lord's appearing actually occurs, the more we should meet together. The more pressure we're under, the more we should meet together. We had a guest speaker here last year for several months in small settings and large settings. In this building and in houses, her name was Debbie Tran from Vietnam raised in the underground church. And the thing we learned from her is the underground church meets five or more times a week, sometimes several times a day in small settings. How could they do that? They have to. They need to. There's life 
The, the wine is in the cluster. And so if you're just an alienated, do-it-yourself, loner Christian, you're not going to make it because the persecution is too tough. Maybe that's what we need, some pressure, right? Verse 26. It's speaking to the same people, all right? Let us do this, let us do that. He's in the plural second person. He's not changing the subject. This is not a paragraph like some preachers treat it that's alienated from itself, that's talking to people that aren't in the room. This is to us. For if we sin willfully... After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Some translations handle it like this. If we continue sinning willfully, where continue is applied, there's no longer a sacrifice. This is the importance of the previous verses. You see the word for, you got to find out what it's there for, right? Exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So if we continue living in sin, there's no provision made for that. Now I believe in the security of the believer. I believe that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor things in the past can separate me from the Lord. But I also believe heaven is a place where there's not going to be liars, thieves, and fornicators. People who intentionally live in sin. How do you reconcile the two? It's a paradox. North and south, polar opposites, yet they're part of the world, right? Electricity, negative and positive, polar opposites, but yet it's true. Sin can never enter heaven. Jesus has done away not just with the penalty of sin, but with the power. So this is why we need each other, to help one another walk the straight walk. So if you see me getting off the path, you come to me and say, hey, help me understand why you're getting offended all the time. Or why you're defending holding a grudge. Or why you're not reaching out for help with this area of your life. I know this it goes against pretty much every popular preacher out there. But it's the truth. Read the context. In my research, I saw one preacher disagree with it and then and then shun the responsibility of being their pastor saying, well, y'all read it and y'all make up your mind. It's here, guys. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Let us consider one another. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. For if we sin willfully after we have received a knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, those people that love to use this to preach uh, that you can lose your salvation, they believe that you can get it back. I was raised in a denomination like that. You know, you're on a thread hanging over hell. God just daring you to make a mistake. And you could lose your salvation, but you could get it back. Well, you can't use this verse for that either. Because according to this, 
If you can lose it, there ain't no getting it back. So as people of God, we do not want to lose our salvation. I don't think we can lose it, but we can throw it away. We can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We're seeing people deconstructing their faith. Pastors, they're calling it deconstructing their faith, totally renouncing the gospel. What's happening? They've not been assembling together with other believers. They've not been holding fast the confession of their faith and their hope. So let's read the paragraph. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law, talking about the Old Covenant, dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he or she be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? I've been communicating with a guy that is doing this very thing. The blood of Jesus to him is meaningless. The cross was sins committed against Jesus. God allowed it to happen so he could convince the Jews with the miracle of the resurrection. That's all there is to it. And if, it's, if the gospel is true, as the Bible says it, then God is a child abuser. And he's not, he's not doing what he tells us to do, to forgive without a sacrifice. Surely he can forgive and he doesn't need Jesus to be the sacrifice. He's totally thrown out the redemption story, the plan that God put in place to break the hearts of man, to generate in us a desire to serve him. How much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the spear of grace? How could a man go that far? He's not been assembling with other believers who will remind him of the truth. People are coming up with all kinds of off-the-wall stuff and calling it the new revelation, the new gospel. There's no new revelation. There's fresh insights to the revelation of the second covenant, the new covenant. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will you be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, see, he's still the same we, talking to us, the same people that he's been talking to through the book. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Those that twist this scripture to destruction say it's not written to us, this is for other people. Oh, really? Well, then how can you know what to claim in this book as being to you? It's written to the we, to the us, warning us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, lest we sin intentionally, lest we live a lifestyle of rebellion against the word and will of God, and blaspheme the gospel. Now he goes into encouraging them. 
Verse 32, but recall the former days in which you were illuminated. You endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. So these were Hebrews scattered across the Roman Empire, gathered in congregations. Uh, the word there for assembling yourselves together is synagoguing together, episynagogue. So these are people that have been persecuted by the Roman Empire, persecuted by fellow Jews who, do not under, who did not understand the New Covenant, and persecuted no by kinfolks wanting to disown them. And yet God had brought them through. So in an effort to encourage them to not forsake the assembling of themselves together, he reminds them of the former days of the things that God brought them through. Has God brought you thus far? When you face a challenge, do you think it's the end of the world or do you remind yourself, like David did, of the lion and of the bear? David went beyond that. He took Goliath's sword, cut his head off, and took his head for a walk. If Goliath had a ponytail, he maybe had it wrapped around his hand. But he took that head to Jerusalem, which would one day become a city of Israel upon David conquering it. So what did he do? I don't know if he knew it then, but I'll tell you what he did. He reminded himself of the victories in the past. He reminded himself of the victories in the present. And he reminded himself by looking at the victories that were going to come in the future. Let's go future hunting, folks. Let's not fade into the sunset saying, oh, it didn't work. No, it worked back then. Faith worked back then. Hope worked back then. And it's working now. Let's hold it fast and rejoice when we're disappointed. Because God is a good God, the story's not over. And he's one to be feared, though. Amen? Recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains... The writer is in persecution, could have been Paul, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. I'm not there yet. The plundering of your goods and you rejoice in it? You know, it's bad when you're robbed by a thief. You ever been robbed? You feel violated. It's really bad when it's done legally. <laughs> really bad if your government is doing this. Back in the 80s, the bishop of New Day Deliverance Holiness Church in Houston, Texas, had bought a nice house in North Houston and had packed up all his stuff to move and schedule a moving day. His neighbors all knew he was going to move. And one Sunday morning, while he's at church, pastor in New Day Deliverance Holiness Church, Bishop Ara Taylor, 
and his wife were robbed clean by a gang that was dressed up like a professional moving company. They had uniforms, the ball caps, and the trucks. And they cleaned their house out. When they came home, there was nothing there but the light switches and the toilets. The furnishings that go with the house were still there. But everything they packed up to take to the new house was gone. They had to start over from scratch. I was friends with Bishop. He learned to rejoice in the plundering of his goods. Well, I don't know if, if I could get over that. Well, with God's help, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession in heaven. All our earthly treasures are going to burn up one day anyway, right? This building, as I understand it, one day will melt with the rest of the earth. Therefore, verse 35, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. For you have need of endurance. Anybody, anybody need endurance? So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So doing the will of God, there's a promise coming, but we endure because there's a space. We're living in the dash in that space. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. And if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The just shall live by faith is in three other places in the, in the New Testament, and it comes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Read the book of Habakkuk sometime. It's a conversation between God and the prophet. And there's bad news in that book. There's going to be hard times coming to Israel. Some think it referred to Babylonian exile, conquered by their enemies. And yet in the midst of that, here's this promise from God. The just shall live by faith. No matter what happens, we are called to live by faith. How are the just living in China, in Iran, North Korea? They're fulfilling that promise. The just shall live by faith. I think in our microwave culture, we are um, spoiled, right? That's our modern technology. That's, that's what happens in the land of opportunity where men's minds are allowed to get together and create stuff. Some not so good, but some good, right? And we enjoy it. But you know how vulnerable we are? You know, a couple missiles to blow some satellites out of the sky, they shut us down. <laughs> We're too dependent on our technology and our conveniences. I remember growing up when churches didn't have electricity. You swatted mosquitoes. It was terrible. We're so blessed. Not putting us on a guilt trip. I'm just talking about the perseverance of the saints that have gone on before us. Are we going to be wimps? If things get harder than they are, <laughs> the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, 
My soul has no pleasure in him. The next chapter we'll see, without faith, verse 6, Hebrews 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if we live by faith, we're going to be diligent seekers of the Lord's faith. Verse 39, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So if you give up, what are you giving up for? Oh, the Lord disappointed me. Did he? I thought our lives were about pleasing him. Well, I was told if I got saved, I'd live my best life now. Really? Now? We're living between Romans 1 verse 16, which says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That is still in place. But we're living between that promise and Romans 2.11. 116 through 2.11. Read that. The rest of Romans 1 is horrible and God is allowing it to happen because our nation is rejecting him. And then chapter 2 is a slap in the face to us if we're not walking the straight and narrow ourselves. So whining about the world is not preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel is hope in him. That no matter what happens, our hope is in him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray you'd speak to us today in such a way we'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to go quickly through 10 points plus a bonus. Springing from the last two verses of Hebrews 10. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. This is us. How do we do this? We're going to talk about 10 things to be. The what to be's, not the wannabes, but the what to be's for fruitful living now. Hebrews is relevant now. What are we to be? In the face of all this stuff. We're to be unwavering in hope. Because he who promised is faithful. We're to be aware of one another for good reasons. To stir up love and good work. Some people are aware of other folks. Because they want to get their noses all in their business. Did you hear about what so and so did? I wonder what that cost them. That's not stirring up love and good work. That's sowing up discord, jealousy and envy. That's a big problem in the world. It stirs up every evil work, the Bible says. Here's a bunch of the one another's. These are in your notes. There's dozens of them. Love, serve one another. Love one another. Tolerate one another. Be devoted to one another. Wash one another's feet. Give preference to one another in honor. Don't be haughty, but be of the same mind to one another. Serve one another. Be subject to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. 
So this is how we are to consider one another. Taking the one another commands of the New Testament seriously. Well, I love the Lord. I just can't stand his people. Well, John, Greg spoke of him earlier. You know what he said? If you don't love people who you can see, how can you love God whom you can't see? So our love for people is proportionate to our love for God. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard, but this is what we exhort one another about. Ah, forgive him. Ah, let her go free. Ah, that's small potatoes. Ah, you're looking at that the wrong way. Are you sure you're not choosing to be offended? The truth is, every time I've offended, I've made some kind of choice. Dan Moeller says, offenses are based on unmet expectations. This is why all our hope needs to be in Jesus, not in people. We hope they do good. We hope they're kind. We hope they take the one another's seriously. But when they don't, I don't want to lose my mind. Be faithful to assemble together, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. These are things we're to be. Who wants to live fruitfully now? Be encouraging to one another often, exhorting the one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. How often are we supposed to do this? Often? Often. If this was 2,000 years ago and now we're 2,000 years later, a whole lot more often should be done in our lives than it was then. The what to be is for fruit living now involves being repentant of sinful living. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. He didn't die to give us a license to sin. Now, I know we can sin without a license, but the way some people preach it, it's like God has given you a license to sin. I went to the funeral one time of a young man who died drunk, naked, in a stolen vehicle. And that preacher put him right through the pearly gates. I hope he went to heaven. I wouldn't say he's burning to a crisp right now in hell. I'd say he's waiting on judgment day. And he wants me to tell you that Jesus is the only way. But in that crowd were teenagers totally misunderstanding the gospel. The world doesn't buy it. There's something wrong with it. The truth is, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, Alan, don't you believe in giving your life to the Lord? Yes, I do. I give him my life every day. And he leads me and chastens me when I get off course. And I have brothers and sisters in my life that give him a hand. Let me tell you, if rebels are going to heaven, then guess what? Heaven's going to become earth too. Because we're not made robots up there. They'll be setting fires to stuff, and then we'll have another clean cleanup of heaven like God had in the past. Woo, I'm going way out there. Be forewarned about God's judgment. If you want to live fruitfully, be aware that God judges his people. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And you say, serious. Serious. This is our mail we're reading. This is written to us. Judgment, Peter said, begins at the house of God. I can get up here and rant and rave things that the world's doing. They're going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, they are. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Why? The world's already condemned. What, how edifying is it for you to leave here having heard me rant and rave about how wicked the world is? That doesn't help. You know that. Just read the newspaper. Judgment begins at his house. Are we walking the straight and narrow? Are we taking the gospel seriously? Are we allowing the Lord to transform our lives? Are we exhorting one another often and so much the more as the day of the Lord approaches? I think you got the point. Being mindful of past sufferings encountered. When you're tempted to give up, remember the last time you were tempted to give up and you didn't and how the Lord brought you through. Recall the former things in which after you were illuminated, see these are people that were blessed by God, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. You came through it. He was your God then and your God now. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You do great and mighty things. And you're my God too. We used to sing that. Be assured of heavenly rewards, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Heaven is our home. Now, I know we can be so heavenly minded, we're of no earthly good. I grew up in churches that sang about heaven all the time and ran the aisles singing about heaven. Oh, I want to see him. But I think the pendulum has swung too far the other way. Like we're just living in the now, your best life now. Really? We have a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Amen? Heaven is our home. This is just our, the black preacher said, I stays here, but my home was up there. Be prepared to endure for the long haul. You know, they, they've, we've seen on the news people that have had COVID for months. They call it long haul COVID. Man, it's, it's a tough thing to have to endure. I know there's all sorts of theories out there. I'm just using it as an illustration. I'm not preaching that it's not fake news, but I do know people have suffered a long time with the after effects of getting sick. You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may recall the promise. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. How long is a little while? Well, time from God's perspective, <laughs> you know, eternity minus 10,000 years equals what? Eternity. So from God's perspective, our lives are but vapors. That up can of aerosol, I go, that's our life. Peter shared this promise, 
that after we have suffered a while, God will establish us. How long is that while? I don't know. But we have need of endurance. Everything's not microwavable, folks. Need of endurance. This is Florence Chadwick, the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions, not on the same day. She's also the first woman to swim the Catalina Channel between the Catalina Islands and the coast of California, 26 miles, the Straits of Gibraltar, the Bosporus, and the Dardanelles. In 1952, she made her first attempt to swim the distance from the Catalina Islands to the coast of California. And I'm moving careful here because we have Californians in the room. So correct me if I'm wrong. She swam for 15 hours. Her boats accompanying her. She, she excelled at swimming in pretty rough seas. After 15 hours, a fog dropped in. She couldn't see where she was going. Her mom was on one of the boats, and there were men there with uh, weapons to protect her from sharks. They're staying close to her 15 hours. And after another hour, she gave up. And it was discovered she was, at the, she was within a mile of the shoreline. If she could have seen it, she wouldn't have quit. But it just seemed perpetual. It seemed, you ever been in a trial, it seems like it's the rest of your life. Yvette's mom contracted Alzheimer's, and she lived with us for two and a half years. Once I surrendered to the Lord to show a sick lady his unconditional love, it got easier. But the hardest thing about it for both of us was it seemed like it would be the rest of our lives. You don't know the end is in sight. But you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. We'll get into that in the next next few Sundays of keeping our eyes on Jesus to complete the race he set before us. In conclusion, this is how we live fruitfully. We must be living by God-pleasing faith unceasingly. We just don't quit. The just shall live by faith. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure for him. God is cheering you on. There's a cloud of witnesses that have gone before us that would cheer us in when we arrive at the pearly gates. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Quitting is not an option, but getting encouragement is. So reach out to someone today and say, I need some encouragement. I'm discouraged. I've been offended. I've been hurt. I've been knocked off course. I'm not seeing things right. I need some counsel. I need some wisdom. I need some prayer. And don't you dare say sympathy. You need strength. You need compassion. Sympathy is just, oh, it's okay, I'm so sorry. Compassion is a feeling of sorrow for the misfortune of another accompanied by a strong desire to not only relieve the pain, but to remove the cause. That's compassion. And finally, for fruitful living, we must be believing like a true believer always. We are not of those who draw back to destruction, to perdition, but of those who believe 
to the saving of the soul. Jim Cimbala, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, said the battle of the Christian life has always been not just to believe, but to keep on believing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the time in which we live. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would give us strength. And that we, like James today, would strengthen others in the midst of our own trials. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ is my firm foundation The rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaken I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus Cause he's never let me down He's faithful through generations So why would he fail now? He won't He won't I've still got joy in chaos I've got peace that makes no sense so I won't be going under I'm not held by my own strength Cause I've built my life on Jesus And He's never let me down He's faithful in every season So why would He fail now? He won't, he won't, he won't fail, he won't fail, he won't. is built on you I'm safe with you I'm gonna make it through rain came wind blew but my house was built on you I'm safe with you I'm gonna make it yeah, I'm gonna make it through Cause I'm standing strong on you Yeah, I'm gonna make it through 
Cause my house is built on you Christ is my firm foundation The rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaking I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus and he's never let me down He's faithful through generations So why would he fail now? He won't He won't He won't fail He won't fail Now, can I balance what I preached? <laughs> As Americans, we have responsibility. We've been given a citizenship to be stewards over. This is why we vote. This is why we run for office, because our forefathers handed us something precious. A call to action. Get involved, folks. Amen? The Lord's coming soon, but it may not be in your lifetime. And we will live with consequences of slipping back into a Roman Empire type thing. You don't want that. Say we squandered our chances. So our hope is in Jesus. Personally, we need to live fearless as lions. But corporately, we need to be involved as citizens in Granbury, Hood County, Texas, the United States and the world. Amen? So don't move into some cave with your tribulation food. Stay active and pray for our public servants. Pray for our businesses. Pray for the corporate world. Pray, pray, 